ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Jackson is back for another edition of the Dome Patrol. Ross, you had a busy weekend, man. You're out at Mobile um, for most of last week, checking out the senior bowl preps and the game itself. So uh, how was the trip? And welcome back. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. It's good to be back home. I am healthy. I am good. So, you know, despite travel, I am, uh, you know, I'm safe. And a big shout out to Jim Nagy and all the guys, Dave Rogers, everybody over at the Senior Bowl, because they made it a very safe, uh, a very safe event. And to be honest with you, even in traveling, like the, the event itself, the practices and the games, that wasn't the part that I was concerned about. It was the airport. <laughs> that was the part I was concerned about. So I had like three masks on in the airport, walking around, like not talking to anybody, not doing anything. I'm like, don't even look at me with your coronavirus. Like I was I was crazy about it, but I'm good, man. And it was uh, it was a good trip, man. It was fun. Um, a lot of great stuff. Got an opportunity to talk with uh, a couple of guys that, you know, Mac Jones, Jamie Newman, uh, Nico Collins, Kadarius Tony. So got some good answers from those guys on a couple of questions uh, and they got to watch all these guys get out there and practice over the course of that that week as well everybody knows with the senior bowl it's not really about the game they air the game on saturday but it's really the practices that you're watching those are the ones that's really the important part see the progression from these uh these prospects get coached up by an nfl squad and everything and so we had the uh the the carolina panthers coaching squad and then we had the dolphins coaching staff over on the other side as well so it was great a lot of good information from it a lot of good looks at a bunch of prospects and everything so it was a it was a great week man but i'm glad to be home that to be home there's there was so much in, um st- great stuff that came out of that week you talked about mac jones mm-hmm. and his uh prospects really went up yeah. um and have over the last two years it's almost it's almost a joe burrow like rise sure yeah you could i mean you have to compare it to joe burrow in that regard because mac jones was not on the radar from right. anyone before Tua Tagovailoa gets hurt, mm-hmm. nobody's even thinking about him. Two years ago, he's the third string quarterback at Bama right. behind Hurts and uh, Tua, and now he could be a late first round guy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, he could be, and he could be anywhere in that first round. He could be a second rounder, just like Jalen Hurts. Like he'll be the next Alabama quarterback coming into the NFL, no doubt about that. And his interview. When we talked to him afterwards, I asked him about his meeting with the Saints because the thing to keep in mind is that particularly Matt Rule, the the American team, he made sure, Matt Rule made sure that every single prospect on that American squad met with every single, all 32 NFL teams at one point. Like he made sure if they needed to miss time in practice, if they whatever, he was like, go do your interview, come back. Like that's, he had no that's, problem that's with fantastic. it. That's fantastic. Yeah, he was, he was really, really good. And I mean, look, he's he was just coaching in college last year. He just had his first year in the NFL. NFL, I think he he gets that, you know, uh, and Brian Flores made uh, you know, a ton of concessions to make sure that his guys got to see. So it was the right coaching staffs for both of these uh, for both of these clubs and, and all these prospects. And so so it is important to just understand you know, that I say that every one of those guys met with every all 32 teams. So the news isn't necessarily that Mac, that Mac Jones met with the Saints. It was his conversation.
conversation about the Saints afterwards where he talked about how impressed he was, how he hopes that he was impressive, that he showed that he was a smart quarterback who could run their offense, loving how much, you know, the the plays and everything and, you know, loving the, the fun plays that they call. He called them and everything. He lit up when I asked him about New Orleans and he got really excited about it. So there's that potential at number 28. But you could also see the Carolina Panthers. They pick at eight. I'm not saying they could they will they might draft him that early, but they might feel comfortable trading back three, four, five picks, picking up another late round pick and then selecting him in the middle of the first round or something like that. They worked closely with him. Matt Rule very clearly the Panthers looking for another quarterback. They made offers, including that number eight pick for Matt Stafford. They he talked a ton about evaluating quarterbacks in this draft and Mac Jones seems to be the one that that stood out along with Wake Forest guy, by the way, uh, Jamie Newman. Yeah, Jamie, um, you know, he took the year off. He was supposed to to go to Georgia, but decided to take the year off and, and prep. He mm-hmm. needed some work on his accuracy, which was something that, you know, he was good at at Wake Forest, but not great. Right. Um, and I think people were also a little bit concerned with his size. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also shows that he's not a – he's not – he doesn't have to be Lamar Jackson to be effective. I think people initially, when you look at him and you look at his body type, you might be thinking that. But that's not really who he is. Right. Yeah, no, not at all. I mean, he's he's a big arm guy, that's for sure. But he's not somebody that really needs to carry that mobile tag. He's kind of like if I was going to compare him to to somebody, I'd probably look at uh, I want to say a little bit of Josh Allen, but not even that reliant on the not even that reliant on the run. But he's a big body guy with a huge arm and a little bit less reliant on his ability to have to make plays. He can do it with his feet, but he doesn't. That's not what he looks for. He's always looking downfield. He's a quarterback. He's a he's not a mobile quarterback. He's just a quarterback. And that's a tag that he should carry, as should all of these quarterbacks going into the draft. Uh, but, you know, he showed on the first day of practice that he wasn't having much issue with accuracy, ball placement, things like that. That kind of wore off a little bit over days two and three, but it didn't erode to the point mm-hmm. where he dropped to the bottom of the list or anything like that. It's just that he and Mac Jones kind of kind of traded places as QB one, QB two. And then so but the other thing you saw from Jamie Newman, particularly early, was that he had the best arm talent on the field in terms of not only accuracy, but also his his power with his arm. His which deep is ball is wild. Great. Oh, man. And the placement on his deep balls, like the combination of those two things is wild. And his velocity, his ball velocity in making those quick passes, it's very... Um, I guess I would say very Philip Rivers like, you know, Philip Rivers, he might throw a screen pass. He might throw a deep ball 30 yards down the field, 40, 50 yards down the field. He's throwing it with the same intensity and Jamie Newman's much the same. So you might see a little bit of work on him. I think you could talk about maybe Taysom Hill even that way, too. But you you probably have to work with him a little bit to work on touch passes and things like that. But outside of that, like he has a lot of tools and a lot of traits that teams are going to find attractive in the NFL. I could see him being a late day two guy. And you, and you look at it too, because of him in a lot of ways, there are some, there have been some Wake Forest receivers put on the Saints, uh, right. excuse me, board by a number of outlets because they were very prolific mm-hmm. in getting big chunks of yardage with Jamie Newman under center. They, they were able to make big plays and those receivers um, now you see there are two or three who are going to probably get drafted this season out of Wake Forest. 
Yeah, I think the the first one that jumps to mind that comes to mind, of course, is Sage Surratt. Mm-hmm. Uh, averaged uh, fifteen point two yards per catch in two thousand and nineteen. He only caught forty one passes in two thousand and eighteen, but he averaged fourteen point two yards uh, that season. So a little bit more modest there, but eleven touchdowns for him, fifteen over his two years at Wake Forest. You transition from a guy like Jamie Newman to somebody else that can put the ball deep. He somebody that could be you know if we're talking about the Saints. Uh, potentially a Jameis Winston, for instance, like, you know, all those air yards and everything compiling as a large portion of Sage Surratt's production because of Jamie Newman, he could translate that area of his game very quickly to a New Orleans Saints offense that's run by somebody that pushes the ball downfield a little bit more than what we've seen in years past. Or if he ends up elsewhere, if he ends up with a Patrick Mahomes, a Josh Allen, something like that, like he'll have he he will be somebody that's a target for teams that have big arm quarterbacks because he's shown that he can produce with that. For the Saints, um, it's interesting because, of course, a lot of fans are looking for the Saints to get into the Sean Watson sweepstakes. Mm-hmm. I still think that's a long shot. Yeah. Um, I, I just it, it just doesn't feel like that's the path the Saints want to go. It feels mm-hmm. like they want to make some type of decision on Jameis. Um, I think you know we've talked about this a little bit. Is I think Taysom uh, some way gets his contract reworked. <clears throat> because they don't want to pay him $16 million for next season. They don't want to do that. So I think his deal gets reworked, but it's too much for the Saints to give up. Consider It was one thing to give up draft picks when you had Drew Brees. Right. So now you're transitioning, and you have certain spots that have not hit the last couple mm-hmm. of years in the draft. Along the offensive line, you've had some misses too in those mm-hmm. spots. You've had some misses or guys that you are not 100% confident in that you may have to replace on the defensive line. You have to look at the linebacking core as well. Is Quan Alexander going to be back? And if he is, what does he look like? So going into this, the Saints certainly had to be very interested in what they saw at the Senior Bowl. And I think that this is a year that they covet their draft picks far more than usual. Um, What is your thought? And then also, what do you think their priority um, priorities are going to be uh, in in some type of war. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it, it, the thing about the Saints too is that they can go anywhere they want. <laughs> they can go anywhere they want in this draft and find a reason to improve. Right? Do they want to go wide receiver to continue to add there? I know Traquan Smith really looked good toward the end of the season, but how much longer is Emmanuel Sanders going to be around? I know Emmanuel Sanders says that he's he. Emmanuel Sanders has said that he plans to retire with his next big injury, which is a wild way to look at your career. Uh, But that's just the reality for NFL football players, unfortunately, and and for football players, for for athletes, unfortunately. Uh, So, you know, how much longer is Emmanuel Sanders going to be around? Will he stick around after this year and sign another contract if he's healthy? We don't know that, right? We know he's on contract for one more season. So does drafting a wide receiver this year make sense going into next year? despite the fact that we've seen rookie receivers produce like crazy over these last three or four years, they might hold off on that wide receiver position because of that, or at least not invest highly in it. Instead, they could go back to the offensive line. Cesar Ruiz is probably going to move to, I would feel very comfortable saying he'll move to center over the offseason because they'll have the offseason to get him worked in there. They'll have the offseason to work with Eric McCoy at right guard. They didn't have that opportunity really in the before the 2020 season. And so you had no preparation. You had missed practices for him the three weeks of training camp that he had due to injury. And then 
the one and a half weeks that he did have to get ready for the season, he didn't spend it all at right guard. He was bouncing back and forward between right guard and center. So, you know, you missed a ton of opportunity to really get him developed and comfortable in that right guard position, which is where he played the entire 2020 season. So I can see him moving his center, then moving Eric McCoy over to right guard, but then still investing in maybe the future behind Teron Armstead, maybe the future behind Andrews Pete, maybe the future behind even Ryan Ramchick if he doesn't sign an extension before the season and plays on his fifth year option. There's a lot of realities to take into consideration along the front the front and five. And that Nick Easton won't be back. Right. Three concussions right. this past season. Again, yeah. do you, the, does anybody want to take that risk? Does he? Right. Does this, and certainly the Saints, because of the fact that you've had to keep shuffling this line the last couple of seasons, mm-hmm. you can't afford to have a backup who's likely to miss time. Exactly right. Exactly right. And so you and and also Nick Easton saves you five and a half million dollars against the salary cap if he retires or you move on from him as well. So there's also the cost saving measure of it. So I I do think that the Saints, if they invest in offensive line highly, I wouldn't be surprised to see it. I know it's not the sexy pick. It's not what people want to see. But considering they're going to have four picks within or around the first 100, they can afford to do that. They can invest highly in the best talent on the on the board, which might be an offense lineman could be a guy like Dylan Radins out of North Dakota State University who plays both left tackle and can play at left guard. He showed that over at the Senior Bowl and performed extremely well. It could be a guy like uh, David Moore out of Grambling in the third in the third round coming out of the HBCU. Like there's a lot of opportunity. Trey Smith, who's a top 10 talent, but hasn't really been able to put it on display or hasn't been taken seriously when he puts it on display because he has blood clotting issues, upper body blood clotting issues that that held him out of the 2018 season. He went on to play every single game in 2019, 2020, with the exception of one start, but he still played in that game. And he has been outstanding, but he's not going to re-rise up to that top 10 first quarter or first round uh, status because of the the health concerns. So with medical checks and everything being regional this year and everything, we'll see how that affects his draft stock, but he could be somebody that the Saints lean on as well. But really one of the ones that stands out to me, and it all kind of depends on what happens in uh, in free agency, if the Saints lose Marcus Williams in free agency because the Cowboys, the Jags, some of these other teams, maybe even the Chargers who are in need of a mm-hmm. safety can pay him more. Maybe they can pay him more and more immediately, right? The Saints can structure a contract that gets better next year mm-hmm. and everything and, and a heavy signing bonus so they can make it work. But if they lose him, then all of a sudden, Trevon Morig out of TCU becomes a really viable first round option. Javon Holland in the second round. Richie Grant, who we got to see at the Senior Bowl, who is outstanding. And in three days, built a leadership uh, role with his team so much that when he got an interception or a pass breakup, he was the only player on that defense that the entire sideline went wild for. So he really developed relationships very quickly. That means something for the New Orleans Saints in terms of the way that they control their locker room. So I put defense in the priority, whether it be at linebacker or safety, depending upon what happens in free agency. And then after that, maybe offensive line. And then quarterback has to exist in there somewhere, too, depending on what happens with Jameis Winston. Could you see the Saints um, in day two going after maybe a Jabril Cox out of LSU who has some similar qualities to Aquan Alexander? Not as strong in the box, but the speed, the range, that yeah. intensity of, of hitting, or maybe even out of um, 
Wasn't the kid uh, um, Jeremy uh, Owasu? Koromoa. Oh, Koromoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, Jeremiah Owasu Koromoa to me is the best linebacker in this class. I think he's a first rounder. I think he's better than. I think that because of the character issues with Micah Parsons and the hazing, the Penn State questions, all that other stuff that's going to come up about him and 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 that has already come up about him. I think he's going to knock down as a as a as a prospect and maybe drop to the second linebacker off the board. Uh, Owasu Koromoa is somebody that I absolutely love i think he would be amazing in the saints defense and working with demario davis i just don't know that they're going to be able to get him before somebody else does so i look at some of these other guys like missouri's nick bolton like uh the he uh, athletic Z- enough uh nick bolton yeah oh yeah like he's athletic enough yeah he's um, rangy he's quick he's got a real click and like diagnose click and attack uh range to him that's really impressive he does a lot of things well there are some things he can improve upon of course but and the, the one thing you worry about him too i guess is his size because he's short. Yeah, he's that's short. my big thing. I'm more of a, I like the traditional prototypical linebacker. I like the Zaven Collins out of Tulsa built, you know, six foot three, six foot four, 260, 250. Like those are, that's, those are the guys that I really like. Um, and he could be an option for the Saints in the first round too. But Jabril Cox, I don't want to discount, and I'm not going to discount him just because he's, he played at LSU. Well, I'm not saying at day one for Jabril, because I think yeah. Jabril is not ready for, you know, to yeah. be an every down linebacker. Yeah, but he does I agree. exhibit those sideline to sideline abilities. Um, and he, he's he's been a leader, he's been a winner, which is something mm-hmm. that the Saints really value. Right. Um, and, and I think that he could come in and learn. He would come in and learn. And he was even in the midst of, of all the bad things that LSU's defense did. Mm-hmm. He did manage to put together some good tape. He was a bright spot. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And he was great at the Senior Bowl, too. He had himself a very good week at the Senior Bowl. So I do like him as a day two guy. There are some folks that really like him day one. I don't, I I don't agree see with you. Day one. You, don't, you don't take a nickel linebacker in the first round. That's just not what you do. You take three down guys. You know, Owosu Koromo out of Notre Dame. Uh, you know, these other guys that we talk about, Michael Parsons. Like, those are those are three down guys. Or That's who pass you take. rushers and yeah. or at that position and there aren't many so no not in this one so um so that's that's the way that i look at it i do think jabril cox i don't want to discount him because he's an lsu guy i know that there's that whole narrative but the saints don't draft lsu players at the same rate that every other nfl team doesn't draft from their state school so there's nothing specific about it uh but i do like the fit of jabril cox and what he would bring as a uh, i'll use the word developmental but i understand i'm using that to a degree that isn't that he has to sit for six years before he gets better you know what i mean but he would be a good piece to to have along with at the same time when you're trying to foster the growth of a guy like Zach Bond, who should take on more of a traditional off-ball linebacker role than the pass rusher role. We saw them try to use him in this year. And so I think having those two developing at the same time with a guy like Demario Davis and maybe Quan Alexander comes back at least to be that mentor, bring that energy and all of that, then I think that's a really good situation for them for their future. Do you see any um, possibilities with Bond you know, working in some DN as well in certain lineups for the Saints this season, especially, um, you know, just considering the fact that there are still some questions at that DN position as to who's going to be available in that rotation next year. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And and that will be a combination of him with his hand in the dirt on third down to where they'll have, you know, him and maybe Marcus Davenport on the outsides and then rotate whoever's in the middle, whether that's David Onyemata or let's say, I, I, you know, it'd be tough to see if Malcolm Brown's back, but maybe like a shy Tuttle or a Malcolm Roach. Mm-hmm. Uh, Malcolm Brown's just another potential cost saving measure. I think they save about five million if they move on from mm-hmm. him. 
but the Saints will traditionally live in their 4-2-5. So four, four, four down linemen, for those listening, four down linemen at the line of scrimmage, two linebackers, five defensive backs, five a nickel. That's why they call it a nickel defense. And so you, you'll you see them in that a lot. But then on third down, what they'll do is that they'll take one of those uh, one of those defensive linemen out and then they'll swap that defensive lineman with another defensive back. So they'll go to a dime package and then go 3-2-6 where they'll still have two linebackers on the field. What I could see them doing is maybe instead of shifting to dime, they'll stay a nickel, but they could add a sub package linebacker that blitzes off the edge and essentially what they'll do is a rip Liz concept. So depending upon, so rip being right, Liz right. being left, and then depending upon where the pressure needs to come from, it'll either come from left or right. You'll see one safety rotate to the top to a cover one, and then you'll see that blitzer line up on either side so that he becomes somebody that will either become a flat defender or somebody that ends up blitzing depending upon which side the pressure needs to come from. So then you'll see him do that standing up, which is where he was really successful from uh, during his time with the Badgers in Wisconsin. But other times, first, second down, I could see them really working him in and see what he'd be able to do in coverage and in run support because he climbs the the line really well and he makes open field tackles. Those are things you need to be able to do as a linebacker and, and run coverage. There's another guy whose name has been thrown out, and I think this is also a long shot, but the Saints have done this before, mm-hmm. and that's Travis Etienne at the bottom of the mm-hmm. first round. And I get the logic in it and saying – he comes in, he replaces Latavius Murray, and you reduce your cost um, at that position. But you have somebody who's very similar to Alvin Kamara in skill set, brings you speed. You can line him up at receiver at times if you want to. He's a little bit taller than than Alvin Kamara is. Um, no, no, about the same height. About the same. Height. Yeah, about the same height. About the same height. But um, built a little wide, uh, stockier. Um, maybe mm-hmm. not as elusive as out and very few people are uh, right. maybe not the balance but certainly the acceleration the 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 timing he's great at, at, at his timing and his routes i think he runs great routes for a, a running back um i can see it but um that would that would that would depend highly on how much the saints value running backs in this draft because i just it's not a need it's not an aching need and i think that the the lack of explosive plays in the offense can be remedied simply with the quarterback change. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely right. I agree with you all across that. I, I, I like the idea of Travis Etienne is an exciting one because essentially you'd have a pair of Alvin Kamara's that you can do whatever you want with, which there's something enticing about that. But then there's also something severely limiting about that at the same time. Right. Especially if you're investing a first round pick to grab something that you already have in the offense. And so I think that, the Saints have proven that it doesn't matter who that third running back is. If they need to get production out of them, they can. Or who that second running back is, if they need to get production out of them, they can. I think Latavius Murray's still on this team next year. I, I like really him, do. though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I just think does that Ty Montgomery he, come back? Right, right. And so, if he doesn't, and if he doesn't, here's the thing. Maybe that's one of the reasons why Travis Etienne all of a sudden raises in value for Saints fans. But you can get somebody similar that does nearly what Travis Etienne does, not at the level that he did it in college, but that could excel in a Saints offense with guys like Raymond Calais, who's actually a a bigger version of Travis Etienne and his ability to be able to catch and run and be a pass blocker and be a special teamer. Uh, uh, Khalil Herbert, who was at the Senior Bowl out of Virginia Tech, one inch shorter, one pound heavier like than Travis Etienne. So essentially looking at the same player, not the same skill set, of course, like there are traits and things like that that are always going to be different, but some of that adjusts 
depending upon the system that you end up in. The system can be supportive, as we've seen, of any of these guys. So if you have, uh, you know, those three guys returning in terms of Alvin Kamara, Latavius Murray, and Ty Montgomery, you don't have to invest in the first round on a running back. You don't have to do it. You can go second, third, fourth round and find somebody that can, you know, carry a similar role and that has a similar skill set. Let's not forget that even though Alvin Kamara was a first round talent, or is a first round talent. Now, as we look back on it in with hindsight, he was not a first round draft pick. So you don't have to invest that early in running backs. And and then it's not like your backups are old. Tom Montgomery will be right. 29 at the start of next season, but you're, you're not asking him to be here for three years. You're not asking him to take on a bunch of carries and he still gives you that versatility as either a running back or a wide receiver, as long as he's healthy. And I think that, you know, now uh, you're going to see a lot of guys be much healthier hopefully because they don't, they have a legitimate offseason program uh, to work on. Um, so yeah, if you're the saints, it just doesn't make sense unless the value is just too great. If the, the people right. that you have off the board or that you really wanted are off the board and his value as a player is just too great that you just say, I'm taking the best guy off the board. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. And, and on top of that, is there, and I know the saints don't do this often. They haven't done it since what, 2006, 2007, does the value to trade back, back. exceed that of drafting yeah, a running another back. second rounder and a third rounder possibly or second and a fourth, something like that for yeah that first round spot just because somebody really wants someone. And that could be a quarterback, too. That could be right. where somebody jumps back into the first round to take Mac Jones. Right. You know what I mean? So you say, well, I'll, I don't want to let him slip to the second round because I see he's at the top here. And, yeah. and it's going to be a team that lost in the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. Right. And, and so you don't want to if you're one of those teams that really wants a quarterback. Yeah. And you don't draft high in the, in the draft and you want to or you try to double up. Let's say if you're um, if you are um, Jacksonville and mm-hmm. you're, you're I mean, you're the Jets and mm-hmm. you're, you're sitting there second and you take a receiver, you take right. you know, at, at, at two and then you come back in and you get his quarterback right. <laughs> later in the first. I mean, yeah, you can see that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's one of the things like, uh, you know, we know that the Saints don't trade back often, but there's just a lot of variables that go into making the decision about where somebody is selected at what point in the draft. And especially when you're talking about a running back who's, you know, you talk about running back value has continued to decrease over time in, in today's NFL game. There's a lot of things that would have to fall in a specific place in order for the Saints in particular, who have a franchise running back, who have a backup for as long as they want him in Latavius Murray, basically, who have a guy that they're familiar with, like Mark Ingram, who's going to be on the, who's probably going to be on the market. Like these other guys that are around and Ty Montgomery, of course, who obviously was very excited about coming to New Orleans. Could he stay in New Orleans? It's very possible, especially very after the season. one start. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I think you have to look at that and say, all right, it would have to be an absolute perfectly imperfect storm that would have to take place in order for them to say, let's grab this running back in the first round. Now, there are some imperfect storms in that quarterback room. Ain't that the truth. So James certainly has interest over the across the league. There are people who want him. And again, now that Stafford is off the market. I still don't think Detroit is out of line for Jameis because they mm-hmm. Detroit had to take on Jared Goff. Like to get all the picks, Jared Goff was that that's overpaid to take my problem. Yes, absolutely. So you don't I don't think that there's a ton of confidence. And Dan Campbell knows Jameis. He knows his abilities. You just hired Anthony Lynn. You just hired you know who you who you think can probably 
he did a good job last year with Justin Herbert. It wasn't like Justin Herbert was the problem in San Diego. So right. he did a good job in getting him to play pretty well. You've been at Anthony Lynn has gotten teams competitive offensively, even when Phillip Rivers was playing poorly. Um, and I think that you and you have Aaron Glenn who also knows Jameis. Mm-hmm. So I put them back in that group. Carolina, like you said, is looking. You could see him in Miami being the new mentor to Tua if they are not a hundred percent on him being ready. There are a number of places for Jameis to go, even in a short-term deal where somebody could throw more money at him than the saints can. So I don't think it's a lock that he returns. And if that's the case, what are the saints realistic alternatives? Yeah. So this is going to be a really interesting bit to watch the, the advantage that the saints have is that they have another month and a half with Jameis Winston, where nobody else can be in contact with him, right. to where they could potentially talk him into an extension or talk him into re-signing at any point during this time, and without actually hitting free agency. But would you do that if so, you're Jameis? That's you the thing, the right? That yeah, that's the thing. So Jameis would have to want to to do that. That would be the the biggest thing. Now Jameis Winston signed in New Orleans with the understanding that the moment that Drew Brees retires, that he would then get his opportunity with the New Orleans Saints. That was part of their conversation when he signed. That is something that was all part of the understanding. The fact of the matter is that Jameis Winston is not going to sign with the New Orleans Saints until Drew Brees makes the announcement that he's retiring. Until that announcement is made, you will not see Jameis Winston come out and say, oh, yeah, I'm going back to the Saints. That would be incredibly disrespectful. And he respects Drew Brees way, way, way too much. And he doesn't want to get far <laughs> to do either. That. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Good point. And so it's like they're not going to do that. That's not going to happen. And Drew Brees is not going to announce retirement or return until after the Super Bowl. Right. Like that. He's not going to compete with news stories. That's not going to happen. That's a Hall of Fame career, either coming to an end or extending for a year, coming to an end. He as wants, far as that, as far as I'm concerned, light. he wants that spotlight and he absolutely deserves it. That's a Hall of Fame career coming to an end. That's not, you know, and look, Philip Rivers was a Hall of Fame career coming to an end, too. But he wasn't no Drew Brees. You know what I'm saying? He wasn't at the top of every record book and whatever. So it's going to be very, very different. You know what I mean? And so or it's going to take time for all of this to fall into place. The two teams so far that we believe have expressed interest in Jameis Winston, although they can't contact him at the moment, are the Indianapolis Colts and the Chicago Bears, both of which good fits, both of which need a quarterback, both of which can offer more money than the New Orleans Saints. So it's imperative for the Saints to lean on comfortability, familiarity. It's very important for them to lean on that and his ability as a leader, the team that's around, how much they liked him because they love this guy in the locker room and on the sideline. So it's important for them to be able to lean in on all of that. I don't I don't believe that I don't think that um, the Detroit Lions are going to be in now that they have Jared Goff because they're locked to that dude for two years on that contract. Now, they could say screw the money and everything. It's totally possible. But I do think that the biggest threat to New Orleans was the Detroit Lions because of the fact that Dan Campbell is the only coach out there that needed a quarterback that has seen Drew, excuse me, that has seen Jameis Winston outside of New Orleans, outside of Joe Lombardi, but they've got Justin Herbert. They're fine. Uh, And I think that for Jameis going to a place where there is somebody that he would have to compete with 
like like uh, Jared Goff. I don't think that he would want to do that either. No, like, I don't think he wants to compete for a job. No, yeah, no, it would yeah. have to be something where yeah, that the Lions gave away Goff or cut yeah. him, you know, cut him whatever um, yeah. to, to to make that even. But Indianapolis is a fantastic. That fit. would be a great better spot than for Minnesota. Him. To I mean, better than Chicago to me mm-hmm. because you look at Indianapolis. I'm not scared of Jacksonville right now. They're in a, they're at the, the start over of a rebuild. You look at Tennessee and they're good. Right. They're good, but they're not great. And so, they just lost their offensive coordinator who was a who made a huge difference for them in Arthur Smith. Indianapolis has a young defense. They've got players at the skill positions. They can continue to augment. The offensive line was not bad at all, mm-hmm. and considering it had been very bad for years right. before that. But the investments are starting to finally pay off for them there. And then you look at it, they go at 10 and 6. And they were just they were right there. With mediocre quarterback play, you right. add another win or so, they win that division. Right. They win yeah. that division, and they—I I mean, I think that the the Texans aren't going anywhere, mm-hmm. you know, anytime soon. So you could hop in and win that division if you're Jameis. There's also the thing of yeah, it's cool to to have the Saints um, behind you, but you're still the guy following Drew Brees, and you're yeah. still in a city where the fan base that first pick no matter when it comes, people are going to, you know, there's just going to be that natural reaction that people have. You're not Drew. And it, it's, right. and he can't ever be Drew. He doesn't want to be Drew. No, no, he doesn't want to. Yeah, I, I think that's true. But I also think that that narrative right there, the first pick thing, that's going to follow him no matter where he goes. Like that, oh, that yeah. comes, oh, that comes with the last time that you played you through 30 interceptions in a season, which were not all your fault, but that's just, that's going to come. But I think you're right. Like there is going to be a, a level of, I'll say, adversity to playing quarterback in New Orleans following Drew Brees. That's, that's, that's without doubt. But I do think that you have to also take a look at the weapons that are around on the offensive side, the way that this team can remain competitive, even though it's in a competitive division. I do think that the Indianapolis Colts have the same appeal in terms of being, you know, having quarterback coaches, having quarterback guru, quarterback whisperer type folks, and everything like that. So there is there is that. But I do still think that the familiarity, the ability to be able to play against your old team twice in a season and be able to like exact that revenge in, in a way after throwing a touchdown on them during the playoffs. Like I do think that I there think are the region some works in his favor, too. Very true. Very true. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I do think that that comfortability and that familiarity that surrounds him will be a good selling point. The Saints just have to be able to lean in on that. And ideally for them, I think the smartest decision would be to ride the wave of Drew Brees' retirement as the motivating factor to get the deal done. Like once that retirement is made official, that that's where you say, all right, you're the guy now. This is you have yours. to say and, it that way, though. Yeah. Yeah, and you, you have, have to. to. You can't say come in here and compete with Taysom. No, 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 no. You have to tell him you're the guy now. Drew Brees is out of here. This was. This is your time. You know what I mean? This is you. You have this opportunity. And, uh, you know, you listen to he did that. Jameis Winston did that great interview with Michael Vick where he talked a bit about like what the words were that Drew Brees was sharing with him and everything. And doesn't seem like he said anything. I mean, he's only going to say so much. Right. So it doesn't seem like he said anything, quote unquote, about how like, hey, this is your time or whatever. But he certainly told them things like you got it, stuff like that. So I think that I think that conversation is more than what Jameis Winston is ever going to admit that it was. And I think that that's another moment that could have made a big, big difference for him to lock in and say, okay, this is it. 
So then how do you make this work financially with, like you said, you have to do something with Taysom's contract. Cause you, yeah. there's no way Jameis comes in and he's getting paid a nickel less than, Tay- no. than Taysom Hill. No. And so I think that restructuring Taysom's contract is a big part of it. That's going to be an awkward conversation to have with Taysom, but Who at the same he was time, shot? right. But at the same time, Hey, you got four games to prove yourself. We didn't see everything that we needed to see this contract at $16 million for this season was with the expectation that you would be the starting quarterback in 2021. That's not our reality. So we're going to restructure your deal. It's not a question. It's not a, will you give us permission to, they can restructure a deal whenever they want. So they can add two years to his contract, convert, you know, 10 million, 20, you know, six, all 16 million to, uh, or whatever his base salary is for that year. I think it's 11. They can, um, they can restructure that to a, uh, signing bonus. He gets a huge payday right off the bat, an immediate check and, the Saints knock down their their cap today. It doesn't take money away from Taysom. In no. fact, it gives it to him sooner. It gives it to him. Sooner. It gets it's taxed more like cash. I mean, yeah. but it's more cash, and that's what you, if you if they're going to change it, you that's what you want to convert it to yeah. bonus rather yeah. than salary anyway. You right. don't want them exactly. to change your salary because they'll cut you and you won't get paid. Right, exactly. And so like that's the way that they could go on. They could go on about it. They could also just extend what's left of the guaranteed money and then do it that way. And in that way, it knocks him down. And then you can repurpose that money to Jameis's contract. I would be surprised. I'd be surprised if Jameis's first year is any more than 12, 13, 12 to 15 million. But it escalate, yeah. yeah. And it might escalate after that. Exactly. And there will be some guaranteed money in there, but I wouldn't be surprised to see that guaranteed money used up very quickly as well between signing bonuses and base salaries and all these other things. And so it'll be interesting to see exactly how they structure it, but the mechanisms are all there for them to be able to do it. I mean, even just as simple as Drew Brees retiring, that's $25 million if you push that to a post-June 1 transaction, which you can do because you don't have to be compliant with the salary cap until the 50-man cut, 53-man cut down. So it doesn't matter (laughs) at that point, you know? So it'll be, I think that that's the route that they'll go with it or one of the many routes that they have it feels like then you're looking at probably considering james's age probably a four or five year deal that you that you're looking at with him yeah to I, make I that can, money right because yeah. he's looking at people getting guys who he would probably say are lesser than him mm-hmm. and they're getting 20 plus million um and i, I think that yeah his agent is going to say you got to make this at least make this worth our while in years. We need some security here. Yeah. I don't want my client out on the market in two years. Yeah, that's one way they can go. The other way they could go is saying, hey, we'll sign a short term deal to not two years, but probably three years is where I would probably lean. So let's say if they say we'll sign a three year deal that allows us an opportunity to then renegotiate a new contract after that to get us up to whatever the new escalations are. Because remember, there's going to be all that new money coming into the NFL with the 17th game, with the new TV deals, all of that. And so that means that these quarterback contracts are going to inflate even more than the 10-year contract we just saw uh, Patrick Mahomes get. And so with that, the $40 million top price that we're looking at right now in three years could be 50, 60 million dollars, 45, 55 million dollars, depending upon how much that swells, because we're talking about salary caps that could go over 200 million dollars or that are already almost 200 million dollars that can go far beyond that even still. And so with that, it would make sense for them to say, OK, we'll lock into you know an escalating price for the next three years. But then this is a guy that when you yeah, that when you sign him for one point one million dollars, he was the passing yards leader. For the season, he can be a number one quarterback in the NFL in terms of some of these these statistics that they can put back on the table in three years in a Sean Payton system and say he, he deserves to be a top eight guy. 
Um, let's we, we have we neglected this, but let's talk about Chris Richard. And, yeah, let's do and that. <laughs> his addition. Um, there's it's been kind of a thing for the Saints for a while. They wanted this type of defense. Um, the 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 philosophy that he has had that um, that attacking style that um, more Seattle uh, mm-hmm. coverage type. That, that at the height of the Seahawks, not what they were last year. Don't right. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, but a this, I, I think this is a great hire. I like it, and um, and I think he brings a lot to the table for this team. Um, and I got to give the Saints credit too that they have done a good job in maintaining some balance on this staff um, and getting people. Um, you know, you lose Aaron Glenn, you lose, you know, certain, I, I, um, I'm, I'm glad to see that. Yes. Yeah. I, I completely agree. I completely agree. And I think that's a big part of why Chris Richard may, might have chosen to go to New Orleans as opposed to the interviews that he was doing. I don't think he had any offers as DC, but he was doing some of those conversations, right? Including Green Bay, where Ryan Nielsen's now getting attention, the Saints defensive line and assistant head coach that almost went to LSU and they kept. And so here are the Saints again saying, all right, we, we care about what this staff, you know, we care about the representation that we have in this staff. And we've heard Sean Payton talk about that very openly. I think that that is probably a big reason why he told Josina Anderson, this is the best place for me and my family. You know, and he made the decision to go there. I'm sure he got a nice payday too. Don't get me wrong, but when it came down to uh, adding a guy like Chris Richard, you're taking the the one question that I'll have for him is he's accustomed to having sort of this spot drop cover three right. play from these all pro level talents in Richard Sherman and 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 you know Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor. What is he going to look like now going through something that's a little bit more of a zone man match scheme to where you're playing different concepts on either side of the field and you know you're probably still playing a lot of single high safety, right? Cover 3, cover 1. That's one of the reasons why so many of the players that have worked with him like Byron Jones, like uh, Earl Thomas, like some of these other guys have actually been people that the Saints may have targeted in off seasons because of their fit, because they play a similar scheme. So him coming to New Orleans makes sense in terms of the overall shell that's being played on the defense. Shell just meaning coverage. But in terms of the assignments and the assignment driven communication that the Saints do, this one has this person's responsible for any outbreaking routes. This person's responsible for any inbreaking routes. And then if nothing's coming your way, then you transition to this zone. There are so many different concepts that are involved in Dennis Allen's defense that you'll see maybe Chris Richard having to learn a little bit different in terms of, you know, the way that he approaches the defensive backs. But I think he'll pick it up quickly. He has a tenacity, an edge, a, a fire in him that I didn't see from Aaron Glenn, not to disrespect Aaron Glenn. Just, you know, Aaron Glenn was great with the Saints and he's going to do. I'm excited to see him get his shot as a defensive coordinator. But there's just something about Chris Richard, the way that he talks about his team, the way he talks to his team. He has this thing to where his goal in practices is to teach the defense how to make it as hard as possible for the offense. Now, don't give anything just because it's practice. The harder that you make it for the offense, the better they get. And the better they get, the better you become. And that's the way that he looks at it. He talked about that after a training camp practice (laughs) uh, with the Dallas Cowboys a couple of years ago and was just fiery. And so I'm really I'm I'm a big fan of of the uh, of the hire to bring him in. Do you see any other changes forthcoming? I mean, we you know you talk about potential losses, but do you see any other um, changes coming to this staff um, this off season? And and then um, what what we've had this you know folks have, have still been saying you know well 
could we trade Mike Thomas? Could we trade uh, somebody on the offensive side? Um, and we talked about Cam Jordan's name, even potentially um, being either somebody that you have to deal with his contract or if you were trying to get into something for another position, um, he would maybe be one of those people for the contract relief. I just don't see the Saints. We don't see them particularly aggressive in these times. That's just not how they do business. I don't right. see them making any moves out of desperation. I feel like they've planned for this eventuality. The only thing that could screw it up is if Drew Brees says, I'm not retiring. Right. Right. And and that would be a really interesting conversation because the conversation then for me turns to how do you get rid of Jabriz's contract anyway, even if he comes back? Right. So it's a restructure, it's a renegotiation, it's decisions, it's things like that. But regardless of any of that, uh, to your question, the thing that's really interesting to me is the way that people talk about the St. Salary Cap situation as if they haven't been in the driver's seat of it the entire time. Right. The Saints have done this to themselves, meaning they are prepared to handle it and they are prepared and they are prepared to deal with it. Right. This isn't sneaking up on the Saints. The Saints didn't open up. Kai Hartley didn't open up the book Tuesday morning and say, oh, damn, (laughs) you know, know, like that didn't happen. You know, like they have known that this is the case and they're going to be fine because of it. I don't think that Michael Thomas gets moved. That's been something that uh, Jeff Duncan did a great piece over at The Athletic where He talked about 21 questions for the offseason, basically. And the organization uh, and and this this also is something that I've talked to some folks within the facility about that everybody seems very pleased with the way that Michael Thomas handled his benching. Remember, he wasn't suspended. He was benched. They weren't going to mess with his money that way. That's respect. Uh, and that that means something to Michael Thomas and that the expectations that Michael Thomas has his offseason surgery and that he's back next season. Like there's no there's no shopping, active shopping of Michael Thomas. I also have a lot of trouble seeing them do that with Cam Jordan because Cam Jordan has a contract that can be restructured that saves you $6 million you know, or, or however much they, they decide to restructure out of it. So with that being the case, trading him doesn't do anything for you when you can keep him and still save money. You know what I mean? And so and there's the a lot of- At least he's the healthiest option you have, right. even if you think there's some slippage. And there the, in the playoffs, I don't think he was at his best. Right. Um, for whatever reason, I'm not going to speculate, but he wasn't at his best in those two games. Um, I, you're not going to give up that dependability, I think, at this point, knowing that you still have some young players on that D-line who are learning how to be consistent. I know Cam will be there. I know I can count on him to, to fulfill his assignment. He will not get out of place. He may not make every play. But I, I, I still think, yeah, there's there's value in having him in that spot right now yeah. unless you could find a, a major upgrade. Yeah, absolutely. That, I think you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I mean, you're probably going to lose Trey Hendrickson this offseason unless Trey Hendrickson's willing to take a very kind team deal and understand I would, that. I wouldn't give him a big deal, though. I mean, I wouldn't give him a big I deal. I think he's a product. I think he's yeah. a product. And he's a good player. And yeah. I think he'll get sacked somewhere. But I don't think he'll. I don't think you're gonna see him ten sacks consistently. No, no, no. I I agree, and I don't think that you pay. I mean, you don't Vic Beasley yourself. <laughs> you don't pay a guy based on one of your production. You can't do that. And yes, he's gotten better each season. We've seen development from the entire offensive line. Excuse me, defensive line. And so we know that development there is is possible. But let's say Ryan Nielsen takes the DC job in Green Bay, then there goes your development coach. 
there goes the guy that has developed those players. So what's the point in paying somebody 13, you know, 13 million dollars? Usually you're talking about 13, 12, 10 million dollars in terms of a guy that goes over 10, 10 sacks on a season. So with that being the case, I, I completely agree. And so I think that with that being the case, questions around Marcus Davenport, potential of losing Sheldon Rankins, your two cornerstones in the defensive line right now are David Onyemata and Cam Jordan. They're your best players on the defensive line right now, in fact. And so with that being the case, I don't see them rushing to, you know, move on from from that guy. I think, you know, you listen to Sean Payton, Mickey Loomis, anytime you talk to anybody from the Saints coaching staff, their intent is to stay competitive going into next season. Nobody's talking about rebuilding. Nobody's talking about we have to go back to the drawing board or blah, blah, blah. It's about remaining competitive and shipping off a bunch of veteran players and veteran leadership on your team that's not conducive to that that strategy. No, not when I think that this team's defense is still built to be a top 10 type defense for the next, as long as, the, you know, the signings go well this offseason right. and retaining um, certain parts of that group. Uh, yeah, I think it's a, te- a, a defense that's still built to be top 10 for the next three years or so, depending on health. I mean, that's always what it is in the NFL, but the components are there. And, right. and we you have to trust at this point that through the draft, they have done a good job of replenishing positions that they lost. And they've yep. done a really good job in free agency um, of getting veterans who may not be big names, but will fulfill the roles in the spots right. that they, they don't get to address in the draft. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That and, and you know, Sean Payton and Mickey Loomis have both talked so far this offseason that nothing's going to change in terms of the way they approach the offseason. They're going to look at their in-house guys, evaluate every player on the roster and then work to retain their in-house free agents first, fill holes in free agency, go best player available in the draft. That is always that has been what they have done since 2017. That has been the the MO for this team. There have been elements of it in existence since 2015 when Jeff Ireland became a big part of the, the drafting culture. But then, you know, the free agency thing kind of fell in line after they missed a bunch in 2014, 15 and 16 in free agency by jumping at big deals too early, which is one of the reasons why I don't think Deshaun Watson is a part of the MO for them. Uh, and so I just don't think that that fits. And so I think that, you know, we'll see the same type of approach, a careful, patient approach by New Orleans that focuses on maintaining success in-house first, because those are the guys that have been successful the last four seasons. You maintain as much of that as possible first, fill holes in free agency with established veterans, not a lot of question marks uh, in that scenario, and then you invest in your future in the draft by going best player available. And, and you just got to take care of the quarterback. Mm-hmm. Take care of this quarterback this offseason. This is still a, a, a double-digit win team. It is. Right. It, it, as long as you have a healthy, competent quarterback under center, this team should not go backwards very far. It's hard to go keep going 13-3. and three. Eventually, right, that's right, gonna catch you. Right. But I mean, they shouldn't be. There should not be a major fall off. It doesn't feel that that there's this gap in talent just because you lost Drew Brees, and that's not to minimize the loss of Drew Brees. But at the same time, the Drew Brees that you got last year and the year before was not the prime Drew Brees. And I think that there are, we've seen across this league too that simply finding a quarterback in certain cases like Tennessee did like, um, you know, some, a few I would even two. say, I would even say Vegas with Derek Carr. And you can even say, really, you're not sure if Josh Allen is, is that guy yet. Mm-hmm. He got Stephon Diggs and went to a whole new level, right? But it took Stephon Diggs to do that too. Mm-hmm. So we have to see it again from Josh Allen. It's, right. I mean, it's just if you can get good, competent quarterback play and not turn it over, which has always been the hallmark of the Saints, 
is don't turn the football over. And with Richard, which I think you may see in the secondary is more aggression in going after and creating turnovers and teaching that a bit more because that was his stop. That's, that's, that was the, that's Earl Thomas. That's Cam Chancellor. That's what they did. That's what Richard Sherman right. did was, was take the ball away. So I think that this is still a very, very competitive team. I think fans don't really, they shouldn't be worried. They shouldn't be worried at this point. No, not at all. Not at all. And I do think that the Saints have found ways to get better um, in terms of their coaching staff and everything, despite losing the coaches that they did. I'm doing a quick run through real quick just to take a look over the last few seasons. Uh, Let me start at 2014, which was like a Super Bowl season for them. The Seattle Seahawks uh, had a total of... Yeah, they were within the top 15 in terms of interceptions on the season. And then you look at them again in 2015, they were up near the same. Uh, so they they have continued to do that, right? Like that secondary with Chris Richard was all about generating those takeaways. And then you have Sean Payton and the New Orleans Saints on the offensive side who have focused on not giving the ball away. And so winning that turnover differential has been a huge part of their success. Chris Richard fits in that culture in terms of being somebody that can help to drive the success on the defensive side. So that maybe you don't see things as um uh the variance is, isn't as different as it was last you know isn't as stark as it was last year where you had those like first seven games with four interceptions and then eight interceptions over four games and then zero after that like you won't see as much of that up and down maybe you'll see a more consistent product over the course of the season whether that ends in being you know leading the league in interceptions or not is kind of irrelevant if you can cause one turnover per game that changes the course of that game that's only 16 turnovers that's still not a bad place to be as long as those turnovers mean something. When are they coming? When are they happening? When is that intensity taking place? When is that big time shift taking place? That's the important part. And are you able to capitalize on one offense? Right. That'll be the other question. Um, What's the next big date that fans need to know about for this team? Uh, I would say, I would say right after the Super Bowl, I would give it maybe two or three weeks, maybe the month within there. Uh, I would say probably between the Super Bowl, February 7th and March, and I think it's March 13th is when free agency opens up at 4 p.m. Uh, Eastern time. And so it's either 14th or 17th, but in the middle of March, somewhere in there will be Drew Brees' announcement. Is he coming back or is he not? My expectation, of course, is that he'll retire. It sounds like the expectation within the facility is that he'll retire. And so if that's the case, that announcement will come sometime in between that month and a couple of days. And then after that, once you get to the middle of March, we're right into free agency after that. All right, my friend, tell the folks how they can follow you and uh, what else you got coming up. Yeah, absolutely. So y'all can follow me on Twitter at Ross Jackson, N-O-L-A, Ross Jackson Nola. Feel free to hit me up. Any questions, anything like that, always happen to interact with folks. I love the off season. I love the off season because it's the chance that every fan base gets to dream, right? So it's always a lot of fun. Uh, so I'm always happy to have those. Uh, and you can catch the show as well, Locked on Saints, every Monday through Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, radio.com, iTunes, Spotify, wherever. And then, uh, you know, all the write-ups over at Canal Street Chronicles as well, man. You know, the the usual, just keeping with it. Nothing stopping here for the off season. There's no, there's no off season anymore. There's no, no off season. Not it's not anything. like that anymore. Not anything. And right. I love it. I mean, even like the WNBA now, the offseason is awesome. I'm yeah, like, like, have you seen everything going on? Like, this, this is insane. <laughs> and dude, Team building like crazy. I can't lie. Like, Candace Parker, um, when the NBA All Star game was here, she played in the All Star, the, the yeah. celebrity game. Uh-huh. I got to stand like next to her. 
Uh huh. He's like, Candace Parker. Oh, I have such a crush on you. And, <laughs> and I'm like trying not to be loud about it. You're like, you're just saying this. But yeah, I mean, yeah. She's, a, she's a game changer for Chicago. That, that's yeah. a big thing for them. And I mean, yeah, I think it's going to yeah. be a fantastic season. But I love, you know, off seasons, off seasons are so much more because we have to do so much more research. Yep. We don't yep. have yep. the week to week of just getting, oh, okay, game, game, game. No, there's right. so many more questions to answer. Yeah. And I love it, man. I love looking at these these guys that are coming out of college that are going into the NFL, like their lives are about to change. So I love the idea of putting forth the respect of being able to research them as people, human beings, yes. be able to break them down on the field, as well as what they bring to the table with their personality, their story, everything that they've had to overcome to get to this point. It is not easy to get to the point to where you're entering the NFL draft. I know we just send tweets about it now. This player is entering the NFL draft, but it is way more than 280 characters to get to where they are right now. So I, I love the offseason getting their research all of that and getting to know these prospects a little bit and so i'm looking forward to it man i think it's going to be it's going to be the most in, interesting offseason in new orleans saints history since 2006 absolutely absolutely this is this is in some ways a def- this is a franchise altering offseason right in a major way if they if they misfire here it's sh- who knows what the next two to three, who knows what any, you know, that's when you start getting the, the multiverse of questions of what could happen. And it just takes right. one off season right now to, to misfire. Now uh, the record says the Saints probably won't misfire. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's still, but it's still franchise altering, right? Because yeah. then all of a sudden, right. If you remain successful post your breeze, that solidifies a Sean Payton hall of fame bid. You still yeah, got to they just get to the damn playoffs. Got to get to that. Still got to get there. Still got to get there. But I'm just saying, if they're successful, get there two times. You got to get yeah, there yeah, two yeah. times, man. Yeah, that's but, the key. Know, yeah, get there twice. And, yeah, and so like all of a sudden that you have this successful era post Drew Brees. If they're able to do that, if they don't misfire, that's still franchise altering. You know what I mean? Absolutely. That's still franchise altering. So it's an incredible time. Y'all know how to get at me. I'm David Grubb, DM Grubb, uh, Instagram and Twitter. And of course, the website, HITP with DG.com. Um, and you can catch me on the Bird Calls podcast as well and writing for thebirdrights.com um, and dealing with the Pelicans over there. Uh, so until next week, next Wednesday, we'll be right back here doing it again, taking it over on the Dome Control. For Ross Jackson, I am David Grubb. Y'all have a good one.